Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. That plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Perry's Black Ark Studios or something. In the God, it's warm in here already, isn't it? Extraordinary. So we're recording, are we? We are recording. We are. Good, fantastic. And Eamon, Eamon Ford. Hello. Our guest on the podcast this week. I have to confess, Eamon, we only decided to do this about a few hours ago, to, to do a podcast this week before we disintegrate for the holidays. And basically what you're going, who was sitting at home with no. nothing to do? No, you, I mean, you... in at no notice, I'm desperate for the attention. It's not, not, n- not true at all, but one thing we do know about you, Eamon, is because you're energetic twittering, we sort of always know whether you're awake and yes. in the country, you yes. know what I mean? And you're, you're sort of roughly around this bit of London. I'm and you're very often away. going somewhere, aren't you? I'm invariably on a bus somewhere. On a bus, usually complaining about, you know, the, the horrible view that's, uh, that's in front of you. Or yes. the queue or whatever. Absolutely. I, I think I'm, uh, I'm giving it real from the street. I am the voice of uh, the modern commuter. So, and I actually didn't even bother to email Eamon. I thought, no, the fastest way. Let me try this. <laughs> I'm just doing direct messaging on, on Twitter and say, Eamon, could you do a podcast at 3.30 this afternoon? And their reply came straight back. Yes. Yes, I could. There you go. And here he is. Hello, Fraser. Uh, good afternoon, readers. Uh, and oh, uh, before, before we start, actually, I thought I would do something slightly different for the podcast. I don't think this has ever been done before. <laughs> I bought refreshments. Oh, what? Not <laughs> drugs, but I brought everybody oh. a finger of fudge. A finger of fudge? Literally, is a it, finger it? of fudge to eat at... Uh, when somebody's kind of quacking a bit too much, and maybe that's a sign that somebody's kind of dominating the conversation if everybody else opens up their fingers of fudge. And you just disenjoy. Dis- that's there what is. I was going to say. A finger, finger of fudge is just, just enough to, to give, give your kid, child kid a, treat. a treat. Your child a treat. Or kid a treat. Kids a treat, yeah. A they finger of fudge. Now, no, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, Fraser and I have actually already taken... Um, Taking advantage of uh, what was it, Fraser, that we had about half an hour ago? A Mars Bar duo. A Mars Bar duo. I'd never been introduced to a Mars Bar duo before. Is that seen two Mars Bars welded together? It's or effectively. Well, it's, it's a king size Mars Bar cut in half. Oh, that's oh god! King king size Mars Bars are the point where kind of ambition is defeated by appetite, isn't it? You look at it and you go, "I could chump my way through that," and you get. Literally halfway through, and then like your body starts to revolt. It, it becomes too rich. <laughs> did you did you 
eat all of them. I'm a man who eats cheesecake by the kilo rather than the slice. Right, okay. I have to confess, Eamon, I agree with you. I think halfway through it, I was stricken by post-Mars bar remorse, <laughs> and I hadn't even finished the thing. You know what I mean? The, the appetite for it lasts through the first one. Yeah. And then, of course, you can't leave the second one. You can't put it in the fridge or anything yeah, like you that. You can't share it, because you've kind of slobbered all over yeah, it. I suppose so, yeah. And I, I felt bad. Unless, when unless I, Murray Unfaithful's in the building. <laughs> when <laughs> I have lawyers, please cloak, cover your ears. Yes, 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 yes. yes. When I approach the second one. So, but anyway, a finger of fudge, that'll, uh, that'll provide a bit of an energy yeah, boost. Yeah, a bit, a bit of a sugar rush towards the end, so we can kind of go a bit mental. Like, that was that... What was that podcast you did with the energy drinks? What's we it? did with Rockstar. We had it. This is ages ago. We had uh, delivered to the Mixmag offices. Actually, were a couple of crates of Rockstar energy drink, and I'd never had one of these things before. And so we decided to use them because we're very often in those days we're recording the podcast late in the day, and people used to have a very definite droop in energy halfway through it. And I do think it's, it's kind of a serious point. This actually, because the only thing that matters on podcasts. Is energy. Yeah. It's just, that's all it is. I know you may think, listeners, that it's wit, <laughs> preparation, poise, all this. It is not. It's attack, attack, attack. That's how you do it. Anyway, we used to start these huge, great cans of lukewarm <laughs> rock star. And I don't know if it's still on the market, but it was horrible. And uh, There's a whole load under Kate's desk if you want some more. Is this... <laughs> Could you, could you actually figure so, look, Kate hasn't even made cocktails out of it no. with Guinness and Tia Maria or anything like that. It's could, that bad. Could you feel your heart kind of trying to move to the other side of your body <laughs> to confuse your veins? <laughs> I, saw, I saw my local, my local um, dipso coming home today from the <laughs> supermarket. I, I watched this person. Um, That's a polite way of saying alcoholic, isn't it? I suppose so. Well, you know, no, but what dips you mean is just somebody with an unquenchable thirst. Not dips, necessarily, oh, is it really? Not, it's, it's not, oh, it's well, not this, strictly for This alcohol. may explain what I'm about to tell you. I see this person going, if I'm working at home, I see this person passing my front window every morning to go down the shop to return with four cans of Carlsberg Special. And then they do it later in the day, they go and get another four cans of Carlsberg Special. But I noticed in the other carrier bag that this person had two bottles of Lucasade. Now, do you think it's possible what they put the two together? Is that is that it's what some kind of liquid super lager cocktail but the, of the, basically uh, sugar and syrup and and solid alcohol? It's kind of cubes of alcohol. I think the special brew makes you drowsy, and then the Lucasade gives you a lift. Um, is this some kind of, of like speedball? Some kind of liquid speedball. It could be. Is, could it, be. is it going to be on Primal Screams next, uh, Ryder? <laughs> we should not. We shouldn't uh, drop into the Alma on uh, the the pub on uh, on Chapel Market and make uh, inquiries about this. They'll we? have a name for it. They will have a name. <laughs> have you ever observed the Alma, Eamon? Which um, one's the Alma? Well, it's kind of the market pub, basically halfway down what's Chapel one, Market. What's the one at the far end by the Sainsbury's? Is it the Angelic? No, uh, it's near the Oh, they're, they're just refurbishing that place. I it's forgot the name. Is it kind of bucolic name? Is it kind of like oh, uh, yeah. farmer or yeah, something like that? Anyway, the, the Alma is, is the genuinely the, the market pub. Right. And I noted yesterday that it opens in the morning at 8 a.m. Oh, my word. And there are customers, aren't there, Fraser? But none of them work in the market. Right. Well, I don't think anybody works in the market. I, mean, I just like, think they exist. It's just like those uh, uh, post office pubs that are kind of dotted around for the people in the meal rooms that kind of work through the night. And there's certain 
pubs are kind of dotted around London. I think oh, it's kind yeah, of probably, secret knowledge. I think that's a theory. And it's basically, it's the Alma doesn't attract those people. And rave kids off their napper on drugs. <laughs> off, off their what? Off their nappers on yeah, drugs. The Alma isn't yeah, a pub for people who work antisocial hours or odd hours. It's a pub for drinkers. It's, right. a, it's, a, it's a pub for drinkers and smokers. There is nobody in there who drinks who doesn't smoke. Consequently, its entire clientele is outside. It's okay. never inside. Oh it's way. as if somebody's taken a traditional pub and, like a sock, <laughs> has reached their hand into it, pulled and extruded the contents of the pub onto the pavement. It's like one of those reversible jackets that were kind of all the rage in the 80s. It's like somebody's taken a Hogarth illustration and tipped it up. And the actual... Like, honestly, it's you know, Beer Street and Gin Lane or whatever. It really is like that. And it absolutely fascinates me every time I, I go past... And you, you see people there, you know, 8 o'clock in the morning, attacking a pint of lager. You it's should, astonishing. You, you should go in and just try it. Kind of take, take the day off. Yeah. <laughs> You'll obviously, obviously be fast asleep by about half past nine. Yeah. They have a karaoke, didn't they? Mark Ellen was telling us yeah. about this yesterday. They have a karaoke with it. What did he say? They had an Apple Mac. Yeah. <laughs> Guys turns up with an Apple Mac with a load of, of, uh, of kind of backing tracks to Irish country and Western tunes, doesn't he? Yeah. And then proceeds to croon. So anyway, that's enough of the local environment. Uh, one, of the, one of the burning issues that we have to discuss uh, this week, which I thought Eamon might be across, as they say in the media nowadays, okay. is the Mercury Music Prize yes. shortlist, which I have to confess I'm not an expert on at all. Uh, and uh, yeah, have you studied it, Eamon? Shall I go through the list? Do you know the list? Uh, I don't know it off by heart, and there's a few which uh, I guess kind of fall into the token category. Oh, uh, right. You, you can explain. You can decipher. Right. You, know, okay. you, you have been an observer of Mercury Music Prizes in the past. Yeah. And, 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 you know, let us know, give us some insight as to how this particular list is arrived at. What do you think? Well, I don't, it's... Every year people go, it's, it's completely untypical Mercury list, which is kind of the beauty because it's, it's not strictly based on sales because obviously you'll have the Brit Awards, which is there to award success. So th there's an element of stuff that's crossed over because it's had effectively 11 and a half, 12 months to kind of build momentum. It's got some new stuff there. There's obviously, there is obviously a bit of a, I guess, a kind of anime style bias to the thing. It's, it's a bit indie and it's a bit cool and it, if it's mainstream, it's got to have a, a degree of edge about it, which is probably something like LaRue fits very nicely into that. She's had a number one single, the album's done really well, but she's kind of still seen as, as credible or slightly cutting edge for a mainstream artist on a major label. So it's all coming from that end of things, isn't it? It's yeah, kind of but then there's, then there's obviously the ones which... Uh, like, I don't really know that much about it. Like, Speech to Bell, who... Speech to Bell, a good record. It's a kind of uh, rappy, poetry-type Yeah, I, I, I played the first three songs, and I kind of find myself drifting off, and I didn't really want to hear stories about crack babies uh, over, over light jazz. Oh, well, I love over them. Light jazz. I but love them. But people, people whose opinions uh, I respect say it's really good, so I'm going to persevere with that one. Uh, what else is in there? Uh... Uh, well, there's obviously Kasabian. Kasabian's kind of the big kind of beery rock monsters one. Uh, I, 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 I got a confession to make to you about my, how advanced my prejudices are. Right. As soon as somebody came along and said, there's a group called Kasabian, I made a point of avoiding them at all costs. I don't want to hear a group called Kasabian. Is it not just the name? It's, it, I, this is a terrible thing to say. It, it just think, I think a group that decides to call itself Kasabian has decided to sound a certain way. Well, and my experience suggests to me that I'm not going to like the way well, they sound. Wasn't that the getaway driver for the Manson family? 
I went, her name, I went, it's, it's like it's Linda in a, Kasabian or something. What's her name? Hence them. I was, so, well, you see, I didn't know that. Kasabian, it, well, it's, it's quite a common surname, isn't it? So I was emailing somebody called Kasabian only yesterday. But I just decided a group called Kasabian, a group that decides its essence can be distilled into the word Kasabian, I don't want to listen to is that a terrible thing to say? No, I think I think there, there is that whole argument about you never judge a book by a cover. But oh, you should, yes, but no, wrong. But you should <laughs> judge a book by a cover because you've got marketing teams and designers who've spent time and been professional designing a book to appeal to but you. But also the group, name. the group yeah. themselves. It's yeah. actually probably their key creative decision. Is what are we going to be called? And what yeah. are we going to look like? Mm-hmm. It's, it dominates absolutely everything that comes afterwards, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. It's a bit of a So that's name. my prejudice. Uh, what have we got here? We've got The Horrors. This album actually is quite good. The first album I thought was rubbish. There were this kind of style band who came through and they couldn't play. They looked kind of ridiculous and therefore if you were 17 they looked amazing. Uh, but they just didn't have the songs. They had an idea and they had a look and they kind of had a sound which is basically kind of reviving 60s garage rock but they hadn't kind of learned to play. On this album they got... Uh, Jeff Barrow from Portishead produced it, and it sounds like it. They've kind of become a quite rock band, and it's actually surprisingly good. They've, got, they've actually this is, managed to... Yeah, this is more of my prejudice. Right, you hit quite rock. No, I don't. No, but it's the idea that, that, that uh, that's a band's creative, you know, progress, is we start off to be a garage rock band, yeah. and then we decide to be a kraut rock band, and then when, that, when we've kind of exhausted the possibility of that, we're going to be a country rock band, yeah. or whatever. Mm. You know, it's all just... It's all just trying on costumes. But are you it? saying that they've become a kraut rock band and at that point the songs have arrived? Because that sounds a bit odd to me. They've, they've got melodies. Okay. They've got melodies. Uh, they, were, they were kind of, it was a kind of explosion of kind of white noise and kind of garage rock meets Jesus and Mary Chain style mag rubbish, basically. But the second album, they've actually, I think they kind of learned to play, whether or not they were. They've kind of been written off, haven't they, completely? They have, well, they, they come through it's, uh, on that whole kind of. Uh, that junk club scene in uh, Southend on Sea. Was kind uh, of this I whole know scene. all that. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> uh, junk Friday. club scene. Well, I only know about it because I worked with somebody who kind of went to that and kind of knew all the kind of the movers and shakers as much as they were movers and shakers in that scene. So we kind of became aware of what it was all about. Uh, and they were kind of the figurehead band. There was loads of other rubbish bands that had kind of come through. But they were the one, they obviously got a major label deal. There was a load of money thrown at them, kind of enemy front covers before the... Uh, kind of released any music properly, that kind of thing. And it was just kind of, they'd come at that point where everybody, that notion of hype just stopped exciting people because I think it just hit critical mass. And even 17 year olds had seen that process happening already. Where, well, I'm kind of in my late 30s, and you kind of you see that whole build, uh, the hot new band comes through and they're being hyped, and you just go, God, I've been through this with. Yeah, yeah. Feeling yeah. the band. That, when you were 17 that it happened to you, but I think it's got to the point now where it's been so concentrated that uh, 17, 18-year-olds are going, yeah, that happened with that band last year. And the whole kind of bones of the so industry... So it's rotating so fast. Yeah. So there, I think there's, there's a, a kind of inbuilt cynicism into 17-year-olds. They're not caught up in that kind of ambition to c- kick against previous generations anymore. They just go, they're a bit rubbish. And they're, and they're, and they're kind of, they're aware of the marketing tricks and the, and the spin all, a lot more than perhaps I was when I was 17. Well, while we're talking about this, it's interesting. Another thing I wanted to talk about from a, another industry, but I've been fascinated to read these stories about the extraordinary effect on, of Twitter 
on opening weekends of movies in the United States. Yeah. Have you followed this? Mm-hmm. This is just absolutely <laughs> astonishing. The, you know, that they, this was the, the Bruno thing. Yes. Yeah. That, that traditionally, you, you launch a movie, you spend a fortune on making the movie, but you spend most of the money on, you know, if you're Sasha Baron Cohen or whatever, jetting around the world doing photo calls at openings and getting as much press space as you possibly can, chat shows and all this, because it's all about the opening weekend. And it's all about can you get a huge number of people into the cinemas, can you get it on loads of screens, and can you get a maximum number of people to see it Friday night, Saturday and Sunday. And um, this has now, in the last few months, changed. So it's not Friday and Saturday and Sunday anymore. It's not Friday and Saturday. It's Friday. Because they reckon the fate of your film is decided at about ten past eleven. When everybody gets out. When everybody gets out, because the first thing they do... Seeing Bruno, it's crap. And it's actually... It, it's, a, it's a medium built for negative messages, isn't yeah. it? Oh, oh, yeah. Twitter. Twitter's basically just... Uh, it's kind of loads of miserable people just sitting around. <laughs> it's, it's like the knitting circle. Just everybody sitting around just who can outwinge it. Because you've got 140 characters and you can kind of be a bit more creative in kind of criticising something. And it, it makes you stand out rather than go, this is amazing, LOL, smiley face. Yeah. Nobody, wants, <laughs> nobody wants to see that. It's got a really strong script yeah. and very good, very rounded characters. Yeah. You know, it wouldn't but work if, at all, would it? If, if, if you slide it off, if, if, I think people, if people go, it's the best film ever made. People will just go, no, it's not. We've heard this times, a million times. But if somebody goes, this is the worst film ever made, your interest is pricked automatically. You're going, I want to see if that really is that bad. I don't think we're, we're, most we're so immune to... To extreme no, hyperbole around praise, extreme hyperbole around negativity. I think there's a degree of kind of schadenfreude about the whole thing, where we want to really see these big hype things fail. We want to see them crash and burn. We want the hype to eat itself, and for kind of everybody to kind of all these burn charred bodies to be pulled out of, of out of the studio system or whatever. And we just go, okay, that's it. Your career's over. Thanks very much. See ya. Well, I think that's true. I think that's part of a larger trend, you see. Fraser and I often talk about the... Um, we'd like to see the same thing happen in football, wouldn't we? Yes, we would. We'd like to see all the money go out of football tomorrow, you know, like with the sound of escaping air from a balloon, which everybody tells us would be terrible if all the money went out of Premier League football. We'd, we wouldn't care at all, would we? No, we wouldn't. We would do... The clubs are still there. So oh, my, my, my club has never had any money. I'm a Northampton Town fan. Well, <laughs> I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not a football fan or understand anything about football but obviously as it's become really professional and these international stars commanding all this money that has an impact on the turnstiles so what's your season take it several hundred quid a year oh, it's been I, don't, I, don't even, I, don't, I don't know if for a for a premiership club what are you paying the guts of a thousand quid a year to it, get it, a top to get? premiership side you would like be, a Chelsea yeah. Arsenal yeah. Yeah, I think Spurs season tickets are about £600. Pounds, no, I think, well, OK, but it's £14,000 um, uh, waiting list to get one. Yeah. So yeah. that gives you an idea of the but demand. But that's basically yeah. just being passed on to the fans to pay for the players and the, oh, yes. the, the, the revival of the, the, the changing of the kit every season, all of that stuff, get the kids to pay their 60 quid whatever for the replica kit. If you removed all the money from that, it would uh, lower the price. Because the overheads aren't... Well, you wouldn't have these fabulous players in the same way, but for uh, most people that wouldn't matter. I think the interesting thing is yeah, going to happen when, uh, when Sky get round to the next round of negotiations and realise they don't have to compete against the Tanta. They won't have to, to compete against the BBC for the rights. They can drop the prices, and then football's really in trouble. Well, maybe. Yeah, well, well, well it, 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 the basic structure of it <laughs> underneath ought to continue. Yeah. 
with the load of the, the sizzle will go, but there's no reason to believe that the steak would disappear at the yeah. same time. What, what, what do the fans feel about that? <coughs> do they feel that they're being ripped off, or are they happy to pay for this and then accelerate the process? The famous survey is the one about the Stratford and Manchester United, where 20 years ago the average age of the person standing on the terrace was 17, and now it's 45. Okay. And it's purely about so it's kind the people of who go to football or the people who could afford to go to football. So it's, it's kind of what's happened to Glastonbury over the last ten yes. years. Yes, it's so it's, it's, become, it's become mainstream and it's become middle class and it's become uh, people uh, with a lot of disposable income. Yeah, I don't think, yeah, I, I don't think it necessarily... I, I think sometimes if you say it's become middle class, you have the impression that it's, you know, Saabs and Volvos in the car park. And, you know. No, I don't, I, don't, it, it, I don't buy into this idea of these, these, the kind of the oothy working class coming with their wooden shoes and their wickets <laughs> and, and all the rest I of it. Now, people with, with, with their beef tea to it's, cheer on the team. It's people, I think, football, it's, you know, it's a bit like rock and roll gigs, really. You know, big rock and roll gigs are, are paid for by two groups of people. One is a group of people who would do that before buying food. Yes? Yeah. And the other is a group of people who've just got a lot of money to spend on it. And mm-hmm. It's not a problem at all. Yeah, you know, and that's, that's what drives these things. But, you know, we were talking about it last week with Andy Murray. It is, it is the big story of popular music in the last 25 years that to go and see a band live used to cost you about you know, 20% of what it cost to buy their album. And now buying their album, which most people don't do... Mm would cost 20% of going to see them live. You know, it's just completely... It, it's well, yeah, well, it's, it, right. it's something we've probably discussed in podcasts in the past, but everything else, the price of everything else, of all other consumer goods, has gone up. The only thing, uh, the only kind of entertainment product that's dropped in price in the last 10 years is a CD. The average price of the CD and 10 DVDs years ago... Uh, the average price for CD about 10 years ago was probably about 14 quid. 14 quid before and, discount, uh, yeah. Yeah, and the average retail price, I think, according to the BPI last year, was about £8.70 yeah, okay. was the average retail price. So it's dropped And you well can get it a lot know. cheaper than that. Yeah, yeah of course. <coughs> well, uh, like you, you go into FOP, for example, and everything's kind of three quid, five, five quid. Oh, it's, it's madness <laughs> in FOP. You go in there and you think, I must have these records all already. Yeah. Should, I, should I buy them again, for goodness sake? Just you know, in case you they've got, got John Wesley Harding for about 50p or yeah. something like that. I, b- yeah. I bought Paul McCartney's Ram the other week because it was three Good record. It's a great record. I've had it for years. And I kind of felt really kind of dirty buying it because I felt that I was contributing to this downward pressure on CD prices. But then I felt that it was the last one on the shelves, and it kind of looked a bit sad and a bit lonely. They probably got tons uh, in the back. Yeah, they, <laughs> they, 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 they probably had, but it, it kind of looked like the last puppy in the basket <laughs> with kind of these sad, sad eyes looking up at me, and I felt that I had to give it a good home. I didn't want it to... They racked them out one at a time, just for customers. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, exactly. yeah, Eamon's That's coming the, in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's make everything look lonely. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, i tell you the other thing. Talk about comparative pricing that struck me. Last weekend, I made one of my periodic, pathetic attempts to clear out my room at home. <coughs> and one of the things I found were old VHS cassettes. Big, real old VHS cassettes, which are big, fat things in kind of laminated covers. Do you remember those things that they felt like a library book? Yeah. yeah? yeah. I had a copy the of all of them. The cover was twice the size of the actual cassette. Okay. Uh, yes. And, and, I, and this was all the President's Men, Robert Redford and um, Dustin Hoffman. And I probably got this when it first came out on, on VHS um, in the early 80s, when I joined the first rental library round my way, okay? Great excitement. 
got a video player, you know, huge great video player that you could only operate with two fingers to, you know, press down the, <coughs> excuse me, it was the controls. A Ferguson, was it a Ferguson? It probably was a Ferguson, it probably was a Ferguson video star, which yeah. I think is what they called them. So, I went down to the, the place called Video Fair. I thought, I've got to say, can you imagine this? Being able to rent films and take them home and watch them. How excited would that be? So I went in there, and I signed up. Now, do you know what the terms were that I signed up on? Okay. You had to pay a membership fee for a year, which was, let's say it was £20. Early 80s, you know, it's not nothing. You had to pay... Every time you rented a film, which might have been £1.50 or something like that, but you had to buy the first video because that meant when you went back, you swapped the one you'd bought. Do you see what I mean? So you were always, you were always so in hot... that was your deposit. Place. That was your deposit, effectively. OK, how much Good. was it, Eamon? How much was that copy of All the President's Men? Early 80s. Early 80s... <laughs> You're, you're, so you're, the joining fee was 20 quid? It's something like that. Something like 25, that. slightly more worth 45. Wow. 45 pounds. 45 pounds. And they used to, they actually used to sell in those days, the control of the prices was such that if a Disney film came out, to make sure it wasn't sold, they would sell copies for rental, yes? Sell, ostensibly, you couldn't properly buy it, but they used to price them in such a way that only the shops could afford to buy them. So I have at home copies of, like, Snow White with a label on it saying £75. <laughs> OK? And, and people did it. Yeah. People did it. It was, it was just a fantastic luxury you were really happy to have. And you can't believe what's happened to the prices of these things nowadays, you know. Whereas I, I don't, never buy DVDs unless I see something, you know. I see some, something on Amazon. The other day I bought a... No, HMV.com. Somebody sent this round as a tweet, actually, or it appeared on the site. Terry Thomas box set. With, this is not advertising. Nobody's paying me to do this. Uh, t- Terry Thomas box set on HMV.com. Was it £5.99? I think it might have been cheaper than that. I think it was four ninety nine. It might even have been three ninety nine. Quite possibly. Three ninety nine for three high-quality works of the great Terry Thomas yeah. on DVD. Delivered to your door. That's you know, 25 years after you've, uh, you know, you, you, you've paid £48 for a copy of All the President's Men. The Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. Anyway, back to the, uh, back to the, uh, the Mercury Music Prize. Florence and the Machine. Florence and the Machine, I think, <laughs> is, that's, that's the one that's kind of got everybody's bikes up. And I think, I understand the Mercury's kind of reasoning about they're not driven by sales and stuff, and they're trying to judge things purely aesthetically. That's the one album that I can say is objectively awful. Oh, right. I think it's absolutely terrible. It, it's the worst case of kind of style over content. I think it's, it's a kind of, it's a heartless, soulless, empty husk of an album that's trying desperately to take lots and lots of kind of cookie, uh, female singer-songwriter kind of, budget, Kate Bush kind of thing. And you can kind of see what they're trying to do. And they're falling short on just about everything. And then you hear the songs. And you just go, oh, this whole project, just it's, you kind of feel like you've been egged or something. So that'll probably win. It probably will. Yeah, if I hear anything, it invariably does very, very well. <laughs> so... Uh, I'm kind of I'm kind of the anti-Midas touch as far as A and R is concerned, but I think that's I think that's a shocking 
I think. I know people get really upset, but I think it's it's a, it's a genuinely bad album. You see, I want to hear that. Uh, yeah. See, on the on the Twitter, oh, yeah. you know, um, criteria. I want to actually go and hear it if it's supposed to be that bad. Whereas most of them, I've just got no interest in them. I I, I look at these lists, and I, I my reaction is is like seeing, seeing the shortlist for the Booker Prize. You, I just feel that somebody's wanting you to eat your greens. You know what I mean? Yeah. It seems it's to me to be antithetical to the entire you know, beauty of popular music, to me. There was, there was a couple of things that, obviously, people have picked up on that were kind of surprising in their omission. And I think the Lily Allen thing, I think, was a massive oversight. Because you've obviously got people like LaRue and Florence and Bat for Lashes who kind of came in that wave. And she was kind of, she was the architect of that. I tell you and what, she's done a genuinely great album, but I think... As a pop star, she's fantastic. She's fantastic value for money. And I think it's a great album, and it's sold really well, and I think that should have been included. Now, I tell you what, I know what the best British pop album of the last year is, and I know this even though I haven't heard it. What is it? Okay? And I'm going to tell you this, and I know you'll agree. And I know it's great because, and because I'm such an old git. I can tell the pattern of something being great, which is loads of people who don't have to telling you how good it is, okay? Okay. The best album of the last year, and I speak as somebody who hasn't heard it, <laughs> is the Madness album, The Liberty it, of Norton, it whatever is, it's called. It's phenomenal. Everybody indeed. says this is brilliant. And the point is that you don't win indeed. any points by saying Madness are groovy. You know what yeah. I mean? Do you think they're too old for the magazine? I they, well, I know it's kind of Andrew Harrison's wrote it up as kind of he said it's a masterpiece, and I'm completely inclined to agree with it. Everybody said everybody who's it, heard it says this is brilliant. It's right. so good. We, I and mean, to say that somebody's tenth album or whatever it is yeah. is brilliant it takes some saying. You have to be convinced of it. it you know what I mean? It's a band with a kind of renewed purpose and you re- renewed focus. They've kind of written what is ostensibly a concept album, but it doesn't feel forced in that way. And I saw them last Friday in Victoria Park at Madstock, a kind of semi-annual festival. And they played a good chunk of the album in among all the hits. And like the audience reaction didn't change at all. They, right. they played, uh, I don't know, they would have played one of the new album tracks and then they would have played, uh, I don't know, House of Fans. Yeah, yeah. And you didn't have that, pe- that point where people were drifting off. People were singing along to the new album. Well, I'm so convinced it's the greatest record of the last year, I'm actually going to listen to it. It's really, really good. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, but I, and I know I will not be wrong. Yeah. Because I know that these on this list are, they will be overrated. Mm. They just will be overrated. It's like records by young bands are always over- overrated. But the, the be- third records are always underrated because the, there's, you know, there's no points to be gained by saying that, you know, when you get the Claxon's third record, there's no points to be gained. You know, Radio 1 presenters are not saying, oh, how fantastic it is, because no points. I think, I think the great thing about the Madness album is you've got people who were obviously at the time in the first wave were great, great musicians, but didn't show off. But there's been a lot more subtlety in their playing. And they kind of, they, they obviously, they know how each of them plays and how they all work together and just as just the cohesion of the whole thing is just well i'm going to listen to it it's beautiful it's a really beautiful album and they've got they've got a token folk album lisa hannigan um so or whatever it's called and i understand a token jazz record led bit by sensible sensible shoes 
uh, which which will not win. Because no. those token things never win. The one that should have won the uh, Mercury Prize years ago and didn't was the fantastic Normal Watson first solo record on Hannibal, which is an absolute masterpiece. Mm, uh, but it was clearly just put in there to say, oh, we haven't all, you know, not everybody on this list is young and groovy, you know. But uh, anyway, so uh, that's, the, that's the Mercury Music Prize. So we basically, we, we, we hold our nose at the Mercury <laughs> list. <laughs> well, I just, you know, I'm sure there's well, quite well, enough people enthusing about these kind of things, that's fine. Well, it's just it, allowed it, to put yeah, the alternative. Well, it, 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 it is a bit of a national sport to yes. kind of complain about it. it so is. it's fine. They know it. They're all, they're, they're critics. They, they should be able to take it. Have you seen the story about Michael Parkinson and who, who, do, who do you think you are? The, um, do you watch Who Do You Think You Are, the no, BBC? No, I, I watched it last night with uh, Chris Moyles. Which I didn't see, which apparently was very really good. really good. I thought... It's I a good thought, series. I thought he was a boorish idiot, and I thought, I'm going to really hate this. And then I started to watch it, and I kind of got drawn in. And then he, he just came across fantastically well. I think just when he was out of that, that kind of zoo radio bubble, and he was around his family in Leeds, and he was a lot more humble. Because you can't do that with Yeah, yeah well, obviously, well, he, he's, <laughs> he's known for being a loudmouth, and you could get away with that because he could go, I'm the famous son, but it was just, he was behaving very normally in front of his mum and dad, and then he was meeting up with old family because they, they, they traced his family back to Ireland, to Dublin, and then to... So what uh, was the Western. twist of the story? There's always, there's always well, the, a little... The twist was that they didn't really know much about his paternal grandfather, and his paternal grandfather was recruited uh, by the British Army to fight on the front in uh, fighting in Belgium or Holland, I believe, during the First World War. And he actually uh, he was shot in the trenches. Right. So there was a, there was a little uh, bit where they find. Was there a bit where he cried? Yeah. There's well, there was a bit where they cry. Yeah, there was a bit, like, they, he, he kind of, he was being shown around where they, um, uh, where the battles were taking place, and he kind of, he was kind of being silver-facing about it, going, yeah, I know this is going to get really bad, because we know how it ends, we know he dies, but right. they didn't know the details of it. Yeah. And, uh, basically, they'd find this little bit in the local paper where one of the other soldiers had talked about his experiences about people from the town, and then he mentioned his... Uh, Chris Moyle's granddad, and what happened was that he would, he basically just stuck his tail up uh, over the trench, and he was just shot through oh, the forehead. Yeah, that was it. They actually know yeah. the circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's exceptional because obviously the the interesting thing about the Michael Parkinson story was that he was approached, and they said we'd like to do who do you think you are about you, and he said fine, love to, you know, as anybody would, I would have thought, and then they came back six weeks later and said. Nah, we don't want to do it anymore because we haven't found anything at all. Because it's just clearly, teams of researchers go off, look into it, yeah. and then basically they come back and say, have we got a bit have where he cries? Mm. Have we got just... Well, it's, and it's, it's generally it's a, a bit that involves a, isn't it? It's a voyage and a bit where they cry. Is and there wasn't anything at all. And so <laughs> I felt kind of sorry for Michael Parkinson. It's, it's, is this a bit of spin, though, where they're saying that, uh, they're saying on the surface that there wasn't enough interesting stuff in his history, but it's Michael Parkinson objecting to a programme that isn't entirely about him? Oh, I don't know. He would, he, not like, who do you think you are? Michael Parkinson would just like a programme going, I'm me, I'm brilliant. Oh, no, I, well, I don't, I don't know a, about that. I don't know about that at all. But, but solipsistic, grumpy. Oh, well, absolutely. But it made me think, you know, I'm a great believer in Alan Bennett's, you know, dictum that all families have a secret and the secret is they're not like other families. Yeah. And so, so if they then approach you, Fraser, hello, this is, who do you think you are? We'd like to make a program about you. We can't afford the researchers <laughs> to go off and find out 
if there's a if there's a you know a little a little little thing in your story that will work, what would you tell them, Fraser? Well, I know there's stories in my family that would work. So. Okay, okay, give us one. Give well, us I, a... I have a, a great uncle who was involved in the troubles in Northern Ireland. Funny enough, my and, word. Uh, was wanted by the police and escaped to America on his twin brother's passport. Oh, that's good. Never that's to be seen again. Oh, wow. Never, oh, and disappeared. Disappeared. And how long ago is this? This is again, the first couple of decades of this of the last century. So. Oh, right, so, so he won't be it still alive for anything like that. Okay. That's a great That's story. a good one. Eamon, what about you? I don't know if there's anything... There nice must be. <laughs> I don't know, because... Uh, kind of Irish Catholic families kind of behaved themselves. So uh, my granddad came from right in the very south of Ireland as a teacher. And uh, I don't know if I kind of misunderstood something. There may have been a case where he remarried uh, because his first wife possibly died. I, this is all, kind of, I need to speak to my parents uh, about right. this. But he married what was my grandmother because he was teaching in England. He was a headmaster. And I think it was him coming to the local village where he was the headmaster uh, and, t- and taught everybody. And everybody uh, kind of in the area from miles knew my family because my granddad was the, the headmaster at the primary school. And I think it was slightly, there was a degree of controversy around him coming there because he'd been married before. Uh, but he hadn't, I think there's he a had, film here. <laughs> he hadn't been divorced, as I understand it. And again, it, it reminds me, I should actually speak to my parents about this. But I think that his wife died not long after... They were married, so he married again. But even then, that was frowned upon too. Do you, do you know what you... My advice to you, again, as an old git, <laughs> this only comes out when somebody dies. All family secrets are passed on the night that somebody dies. Well, and that's, that's a that's terrible what, thing to what, say. It's, it's a great thing about... You, you all go back to the family, and, you know, mother or whatever yeah. tells you something. I didn't properly know until my father died, which is quite a few years ago that he was one of six and the other five were by one mother and the sixth was by the sister of the mother okay oh that's that's Ooh. quite that's quite common quite common it's it's fr- it, 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 it makes you think to hear about it nowadays yeah. but in those days yeah. not uncommon well it's not the, you know, the people used to deal with odd little things yeah, like well this. it was not the eric clapton thing where, where his sister was his mum well it, eric clapton had the same same syndrome as jack nicholson which is that he was born to a teenage mother yes uh, and and they used to just go away with the mother yeah. and the mother would return and say i've got another baby yeah Whereas actually the baby was the, the daughter's. And so Jack Nicholson didn't, famously didn't find out until he was already a star when Time magazine rang him up. Fact checker from Time magazine rang him up and said, uh, can I just confirm, Mr. Nicholson, that, uh, that, the, that the woman that you call your mother is actually your grandmother? And he genuinely didn't know. You know and he was about late 30s before he knew, yeah, which I makes think. you think. Anyway, so you know, there's, there is... In every family, I believe this, you know, there is always some little story. Whether you know it or not, there is just something. So we could all make a, you know, who do you think you are? Yeah, well, obviously, but the, this program's kind of, it's, it's become a bit of a formula. And there oh, is, definitely. and they want the money shot, which is the tears. The, the crying, the crying. The only person who wouldn't cooperate with the money shot was Jerry Springer, oddly enough, who lost... Yeah, but that was know, the one at the concentration Lost people camp. at Auschwitz or... Yeah. One of those. And camps. there's a man who makes his living from. There's a man who makes his living by by the most naked, you know, manipulation of of public displays of emotion. He wouldn't do it. He walked away. 
He walked that right was, out of shots. I give him points for yeah, doing that. But that, that's like kind of the equivalent of a horror movie of not seeing the monster. It became much more. Oh, sorry, it became much more powerful not seeing. But the fact that you could just see him walking into the yeah, distance yeah, yeah. and you couldn't hear it, and you were you were imagining yeah, what yeah, he yeah. was going through. Yeah, I think definitely. I think the fact that it was just off camera made it much more harrowing. So uh, while we're talking about in defence of you know uh, of uh, uh, millionaire uh, TV and film stars. I, I came to the office this morning, I saw the Evening Standard hoarding that said, Jude Law hits woman, pictures. Have you seen this? No. <laughs> it's a very arresting thing to have on hoarding, Jude Law hits woman. You think, what woman? His mother? Or, you know, next door neighbour or whatever. Slightly different twist. Photographer, okay, okay. happened to be female. Right. Uh, and coming out of some uh, you know, restaurant, one o'clock in the morning or whatever, and, you know, the, the, this woman was there to take a picture of him. He just had enough, you know, and kind of flipped or whacked her with the side of his hand or, or whatever. Now, obviously, violence against anybody is to be abhorred. But I, I sympathise with these guys now. Am I wrong? You know, I think these people, there are now such armies of people going around taking pictures of anybody, anybody who's even half famous. Yeah, well, It's just gotten ridiculous. I think we can sit in that kind of non-famous world uh, and kind of think, oh, well, they, they kind of live by the media, they should die by the media, and they get paid enough, etc., etc. But you don't actually see what it's like until you see any of those documentaries about paparazzi and there's literally hundreds of them for some non-entity celebrity coming out of some nightclub or some restaurant and it's they just say you can't actually say it. There's it, thousands. If of you go and look on YouTube, I mean, it, it, people, particularly people like Paris Hilton and yeah. you know, anybody in Hollywood, because because nowadays people head to Hollywood not to be stars, but to, they take a video camera with them, don't they? To see what they, shots they yeah. can pick up outside the, the Ivy or whatever. Yeah, and sells a website. Talking of that, the only time I've ever kind of experienced it, without actually kind of haven't seen it, so kind of in the distance or on TV, was I went once to the Ivy for a friend's birthday. It wasn't any kind of famous post. I've been once. We lived in London for 15 years. I've been once. And as we came out, there was like about, probably about a dozen paparazzi. I think Claudia Schiff, is she the one who's married to Steele? Yeah. And no. ever, uh, what's the... What, no, <laughs> Heidi Klum. Heidi Klum. Klum. Yeah, yeah okay. okay. Heidi Klum and Steele were in having their dinner. And, like somebody pointed having out. Having the tea. Yeah. Uh, fish and chips <laughs> take away in off their lap off, yeah. off, off a little tray in front of the telly uh, apparently they were in there I didn't see them because uh, I think they kind of ushered the uh, uh, the normals or the civilians into one bit and then the really famous people into some kind of uh, I don't know insane kind of cocaine fueled jacuzzi or whatever they're <laughs> all in but uh, the door opens and we were just about to go home and that you could just see they pause for a second, and then you could just see the massive disappointment in their faces. Yes, it's demoralising yeah. for anybody who's not Heidi Klum, isn't but it? But it was like you were, you were properly taken aback by the whole thing. Oh, I, so. I wasn't expecting, but obviously as a, as a celebrity, you know that that's how you should be prepared for it. But still, to be kind of circled by these people, you're, you automatically become quite defensive. I had this weird experience. I, I may have told you this a few years ago. I got, I, I'll, I'll do anything for money, you know. And uh, the Audi cars have an Audi channel on Sky. And, and they feature... One of the things they feature is famous people driving their cars. And they, you know, the people they have associations with, Alec Ferguson and so forth. And I was approached by a production company said, would you drive around London with Brian Ferry for the day in an Audi interviewing him? And I said, is the money involved? Yeah. 
<laughs> not a problem at all. Actually, I would probably have done it for nothing. You know, it's, yeah. it's fun to drive a luxury Audi around London with Brian Ferry, who was a perfectly sweet gentleman. Yeah, you know, talk, talk about how you record it, do the strand and Virginia Plains. Well, just to, on, tell us about that. No, the, the beauty of driving around while interviewing people is, is the conversation is really easy because it's the same conversation you have driving with anybody which is, oh, look at the traffic. Oh, there's Buckingham Palace. Have you ever been there? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a natural conversation. Anyway, uh, so we're it, going was, around was, was in an hour. a program called Ferrying Ferry? <laughs> well, a bit. We're, I'll tell you, there's a payoff, actually, in the end. Uh, the, um, so the Audi is all kissing out with you know, onboard cameras. So you're shooting it like Jeremy Clarkson shoots Top Gear. That's how they do it. You know, it's plumbed in, cameras absolutely everywhere. So the crew are not in the car. The crew are following you in, you know, in their own vehicle. Anyway, we've done lots of things. we shot all over the place. And at the end, he says, I just want to go to uh, Sotheby's in South Ken because this is the last day of a Francis Bacon showing. And I just want to pop in and see it. And would you mind driving me? I said, no, it's not a problem at all. I, he said, you should be able to wait outside, you know, because I'm driving the car. So we go and we park outside. He said, I'll be about 10 minutes. And he nips in. And I'm, it's, it's quite a quiet spot. And I'm just looking across the road, and there's a guy hanging around outside an off-license, just a bloke. There's no camera or anything like that. But he's kind of looking at the car, and he's looking at Christie's or Sotheby's, whichever it is, that Ferry's just gone into. And I'm looking nervously around in case the parking, the traffic warden comes or anything. And after ten minutes, Brian Ferry comes out. And just as he's getting into the car, this is a kind of flash, you know, this guy has leapt across the road. Bang, 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 bang. You know, taking pictures of Brian Ferry. Brian Ferry gets in the car, and he's, A, embarrassed, and B, he, he really looks invaded. You know, he, he looks as if he's kind of, you know, his privacy has just been disturbed for yeah, no he, great he, reason he, at he, all. He's not what's on, the, he's not what's the value of a bloody picture of yeah, Brian but, Ferry, you know? Suit on a London street. You well, know, he's, he's, not, he's not on duty. Him showing up to the Q Awards, then he's on duty. Or, or him, him with a 20-year-old blonde that they haven't seen before, yes, mm. or his son, or whatever. I was just amazed, and it gave you an idea of how, of how this new paparazzi world worked. You know, the, there was a time when there were only about 20 paparazzi in London, and they were all a bit the same thing. Yeah. Didn't they? They'd be a big awards do or something. Nowadays, it's thousands yeah, of people. No, on scooters, zooming around all over the place, informed on mobile phones by doorman or anybody. Oh, I've got so-and-so in here now. You know, there'll be a little queue outside. It's absolutely astonishing. I've got, with that, with that Brian Ferry thing, I've got this image now of the, the, of the cover of For Your Pleasure with the chauffeur, you as the chauffeur, and then this, <laughs> this slinky lady with a panther yeah. on a leash. <laughs> yes, I've, sadly. I've got, I've got this sadly. image of, you know, it's going to be fixed forever. And anyway, I'll wouldn't you know it, that later on. <laughs> the film never got shown, because, well, it didn't get shown immediately. Because a couple of weeks later, in doing an interview with a German magazine... Oh, this was oh. the... He just... He made... Oh, it's just got... The, you know, we've all heard this controversy. James Brown and all that got fired because of it. You're not yeah. allowed to say anything pertaining to Germany in the 1930s yeah. that doesn't make it absolutely clear that you were born absolutely anything to do... You know mm. what I mean? Yeah, you, and they think he just said... The Nazis had had a strong sense of visual style, yeah. which anybody with half a brain knows is true. Well, they they had they had propaganda. They invented they visual yeah. style. Right now, like yeah, look the, at the, the, the style films. Yeah, you know, the idea of political uh, iconography and propaganda. He just was, said that, yeah. and so uh, there was a scandal. And Audi, being a major German company, of obviously course. said, oh, "Can't have that." 
so the film, you know, was suppressed. Oh, goodness, it was probably shown eventually. Anyway, oh. sorry, we're, we're talking, we're right, talking right, about. Right. So we, uh, you know, I don't, we don't hold with uh, with anybody thumping anybody in the street. But Jude Law, we do feel a certain amount of sympathy for. I've got, a, I've got a. Did note. he take the law into his own hands? Yeah. I've got a note here on my, my notes. Uh, Fraser it says, "Ask about Fraser's fridge. What's in your Fraser? What's in Fraser's freezer?" <laughs> Camel. And <laughs> what? Well, I'll actually I can do better than this. I'll give you a list of what. It's I got a list of the inventory of <laughs> Fraser's freezer. This is what was in my freezer a year ago. <laughs> it's written oh, down. Good Lord. I, I had a, a batch lot of exotic meat delivered. <laughs> where, 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 where do you get this from? Or from what? an exotic meat butcher on the, over the internet, of course. Right. But I had kudu, zebra, alligator, kangaroo, bison, blesbok, buffalo. I'm going to interrupt. Were these all neatly in in white cellophane things? With little tickets on yes, it, saying, saying them, yeah. kudu. Yes, completely. <laughs> what do they get to? Buffalo, crocodile, eland, impala, python, springbok, and wildebeest. And now I only have camel left. There's just a camel left. It's yeah. very tough. Not good to cook with. Uh, but my concern about that is uh, I'd, I'd like to try all of those, but is there a certain expertise in knowing how to cook these particular meats, or do you just kind of treat them... As a bit like steak. I, I, I treat them exactly like steak. With the right. zebra, I made a, a lovely zebra wellington. Okay. <laughs> oh, very nice. He, did, he famously he got some hare, H-A-R-E. This right. is ages ago. And he made, what did he make, Eamon? You've got to guess. What did he make out of hare, H-A-R-E? He oh. made hairballs. Oh. Hey! Oh, God. Hairballs. <laughs> It's getting so warm in here. We've got to we've got to get some air in and probably attra- attack our finger fingers of fudge. I'm opening mine now. This podcast was brought to you by the Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. <laughs>